first half of this book uh, helps us to see how we can live lives of faith and obedience even in the midst of unsteady and even difficult times. So the writer here, Daniel, of this book, uh, and, and, and his friends, and he had three friends. We'll get to those uh, in just a little bit. They find themselves as aliens and strangers in a new place called Babylon. They were no longer at home with God's people, the people of God, and they're now besieged, and God's people have been besieged, and they've been abducted. They've been uh, abducted, kidnapped, and taken into this place called Babylon. Babylon is an, was an idolatrous place with an idolatrous king. And the, 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 the people of God, their lives had been uh, uh, completely upended. And they were shook to the core because they were faced with pressure to assimilate into this new ungodly culture. Uh, they, were, they were being pressured and even, even commanded to, to worship false gods and to leave behind their identity as people of God. So if you've been following the news, and I was talking to Pastor John, I said, you know what, God is just so good when he, when he, when he gave me this message and, and, and all of the things that are going on. We have to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. Don't forget your identity and who you are as a child of the Most High God, no matter what's going on around us. Hallelujah. Yeah, and, and, and those of us that we're not always in our own little cocoon and, and within our own little little place, uh, we do things that are going out and are coming in in the workplace and people that we have to deal with uh, on a daily basis. And we find ourselves surrounded by people who many times are opposed to our faith and values. And, you know, we also, too, find pressure for us to assimilate and become like everybody else that's around us and to blend in rather than standing out. Yeah, and, and no doubt there's pressure, no doubt there's temptation uh, for us to be anything but a child of God as a born-again believer in Christ Jesus. So when, you know, I talk to people, they say, well, you know, well, how am I supposed to live then, Pastor? Can you tell me how to do that, preacher? So how then do we live faith-based lives in this uncertain and unsteady world? That is a question. So today I want to remind all of you to never forget who you are in Christ Jesus. So we see today in this text, in Daniel, uh, that he had three friends as well. They knew who they were, and they know whose they were, and they lived out their identity as God's people. That is our assignment, to live out our identity as God's people. And even for those of you who may be listening or, or watching a, a broadcast on today, and perhaps I'm giving the altar call right here at the very beginning, and if you don't know Christ today, or even if you do know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can learn today that God is all the while at work, working effectively, working in your behalf in every situation, even in this crazy world. And on today, you're going to learn how you can have an unwavering identity as a child of God, even in this shifting world. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, little g, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, little g. So now here's the background. Here's the setting. So now this is in the 6th century B.C. before Christ, which is some 600 years before the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now Babylon is a wealthy, powerful nation. Yeah, but their king and their leader was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, and they just came in and they besieged and they took over Jerusalem, which was the capital of God's people. And all of this, really, when you, we read it here, is fulfillment of prophecy because God's people under the law were told, they were even warned, that if they failed to follow and obey God's commands, that they would be exiled and taken into captivity. And yes, there is scripture for that. You can find that in Leviticus chapter 26 as well. So now years earlier, King Hezekiah made a mistake of showing off his treasury to some Babylonian representatives that he had that came to visit with them. One of the mistakes that you could ever make is just showing all your stuff and what you got. So it was prophesied then uh, that one day the temple treasuries, the treasuries that were that in the temple that were full of silver and gold and all those things, uh, that one day that there were going to be some people that would come back and steal all this stuff and take them into captivity. Verses 3 through verses 7. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, uh, and he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Mm. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them the three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah the name of Shadrach, and to Mishael the name of Meshach, and to Azariah the name of Abednego. So now this king, he decides to take the best of the best these three young men who were politically, socially, mentally, and, and, and to bring them into his service. He took these young men, and Daniel was probably about 15 years of age when all of this took place. He, he, he took from royalty, and this king, he took from royalty, he took from nobility, he took physically good-looking young men, and he took smart people, he took those young people that were competent, and he began to reprogram them. 
In other words, he was trying to reassimilate them into his culture and his service, into that Babylonian way of thinking, into that culture of worshiping and serving other gods, idol gods. And it started very subtly. We see that even in our education system today. It started with literature and with language, which are important keys to any culture, even today. And so the king, he fed them from his table. He educated them in his schools. And he was just trying to remake these three um, uh, Hebrews, these four Hebrew boys, including all of those other uh, Israelites who have been taken into captivity. Now, notice what I said earlier. He renamed them. In other words, he replaced their Hebrew names with Babylonian names. Daniel which means God is my, my judge, he replaced it and changed it to Belteshazzar, which means the king's attendant or the king's flunky. Hananiah, uh, the name means Yahweh is gracious, he changed that to Shadrach, which to be command the moon god of Aku. They served gods, other gods, moon gods, they had a god for everything. Mishael, who is what God is, he changed that to Meshach, which means who is like Aku or who is like the moon god. And then he changed the name Azariah. Azariah means Yahweh is helper to Abednego, which means servant of the shining one uh, who was Nebo. So you see this in the Bible, all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, if you recall that Joseph, Joseph was given an Egyptian name when he gained favor with Pharaoh. But it's striking that their names that were steeped and with rich meaning in their faith is now being replaced with names that are tied to idols of Babylon. It would be critical for Daniel to remember that Bel can't protect the king, but that God certainly is judge. Nebuchadnezzar used several methods to try and conform them to his culture and his ways. He used isolation. He took them from their home and he set them apart. He used indoctrination, meaning he put them in the Babylonian schools. He used compromise and getting them to eat from the king's table and eat the king's food. And he also used confusion in that he changed their names. He wanted them to forget who they were in Christ Jesus. But I was reading an article and there was a well-known theologian who said, this incident illustrates for us an important principle. And here's the important principle. The way that we think about God, the way that we think about ourselves, and the way that we think about others and the world determines the way we live. I was talking to someone earlier this morning who said they were out yesterday in public and they were at a particular event amongst some saints of God and, you know, Somebody was in there with a mask on. Somebody else had some, the garment pulled up over their nose, trying not to breathe in all of those things. So it is critical, amen, how our thinking is in line with who we are as children of the Most High God. So Nebuchadnezzar hoped to change the way that these people thought so that they lived the way that he wanted them to live. And don't think for one minute that the devil wants to try to change your thinking. He does want to try to change your thinking because he knows that he can change your thinking and keep you believing that you are less than, then you will always be less than. But please take a note. 
if Satan can change the way you think, he will have hoodwinked you into living the way that he wants you to live. Now, the question is, how would Daniel and his friends respond? How would you respond if you were in a situation or a circumstance like that? Let's look in verse 8, Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So, Daniel made a conscious and resolute decision that he would not defile himself. He made up or he set his mind that he would not act in a way that would be inconsistent with his identity as God's child. Be resolute. Have a made-up mind. Be set in your ways, knowing that no matter what comes and no matter what goes, that for Christ you're going to live and for Christ you will stand. It's important for you as a child of God to act in a manner that is consistent with your faith and with what you believe. Even when things are going wrong, people of God, your obligation and your assignment to all is to always do what's right. Do it God's way, and as Deacon tells us all the time, it's cheaper to do it God's way. Amen. So if you want to save a little money, amen, do it God's way. Do it the way that your faith and the Word of God tells you to do it. So this king wanted Daniel to be reminded every day that he was dependent on him for survival. He wanted his daily bread to come from the king's table for that reason. So what was this king doing? He was creating dependence. But Daniel was resolved and had made up in his mind not to sin, and he was not going to eat anything from the king's table. He wasn't going to rely on the king for any of his needs. He was going to trust and rely on the living God. Are you listening to me this morning, people of God? Hallelujah. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king, who had appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse likening than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king? In other words, he was saying, look, you better get online here with what the king wants you to do because you're going to get me in trouble. He's going to take my head off if you don't do what he tells you to do. Verse 11, and then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat. Pulse was vegetables and water to drink. Verse 13, then let our countenances or our faces be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. In other words, look at us and you'll see the difference. When the world looks at us, people of God, they should see the difference. They should know that we are children of the Most High God. Verse 14, so he consented to them in this manner and proved them 10 days. 
And at the end of the 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all those children who did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse, again, vegetables. So I want you to know, people of God, that God is at work all through this text. And God gives Daniel favor and compassion with that person that was assigned over him. So Daniel, excuse me, politely refuses uh, and requests to not eat the food, but the eunuch is afraid of the king. He got scared. So Daniel, in effect, proposed this test. And Daniel is so confident that God will take care of him that he's even willing to be tested. And imagine all of that. Vegetables and water are good for you, people of God, for all of you meat eaters. How about that? Verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Sounds like our children, doesn't it? And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers that were in all his realm. 21, and Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. So what I say here? God blessed them, people of God. They were obedient, and God took care of them. Listen, the story doesn't always go like this. Sometimes the king gets mad and says, off with their head, just like he was going to do. But ultimately, God will take care of us. The blessing in life for us, people of God, is spending eternity with him. But there is a principle here that I want you to see. You don't have to embrace the world to have success in the world. Can I say it again? And that's something I think we ought to impart to our children even more and more. They don't have to embrace the world to have success in this world. The big picture here for us is that God had a plan for these Hebrew boys. Can you imagine that? He had a plan to use them in this place called Babylon as a witness and a light. In your place of work, your place of employment, God has a plan for you even if things are not going the way that you think they should be going right now because God wants to use you as a witness and a light even in your place of employment. He had a plan to use Daniel in the government. And God's plan cannot ever be thwarted or undone, people of God. But it is not our job to go about planning for God. Now, I want you to remember that. But to be obedient and follow God's plan for our lives. Sometimes we want to tell God what to do. God knows what to do. We just need to follow what he tells us and directs us to do. 
So as we step back and as we look at this passage, we see God at work all through it. That's the real story. Even in this broken situation, the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, but God is right there in the midst of it. He's working where the world would least expect him, in this place of exile and in captivity. So, again from this passage, we can see some principles for how we as God's people can maintain our identity and live our lives in a fallen world. Let me give you three principles for living out an unwavering faith and an unshakable identity, even in this shifting culture that's shifting from minute to minute in day by day. Number one, remember this, God is not absent. He's always at work, working effectually and behind the scenes on your behalf. So then how did these Israelites, how did they end up in this situation in captivity? Well, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1 again tells us that the Lord gave the king of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. The Lord gave the king of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. Now, God wasn't absent. Absent, God was at work. It was working because God wanted to accomplish a greater person, uh, uh, a greater purpose, excuse me. Listen, God's always working for his people's good and for his own glory. And no earthly pain can rob or take away that purpose and plan that God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So three times in this text, we read that God gave. He gave the king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 2. And then he gave Daniel favor with the eunuchs. And then he gave Daniel and his friends gifts and abilities to help them advance even during the time that they were in captivity. So to me, this scripture shows us and tells us about the sovereignty of Almighty God. God can do, as we used to hear at the old church, anything and everything that he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. So it proves to me that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king over there in Babylon, uh, he's not ultimately in charge. God was in charge and he was at working. It reminds us that no matter the situation, people of God, that God is yet God. Listen, when you're listening to the news, when missiles are flying and viral infections are more prevalent and political parties are debating, no matter what the culture war may be, no matter what the election results might be, God is yet God. The throne of heaven is always occupied, no matter who occupies the White House or the governor's mansion, people of God. The sovereignty of God does not fluctuate with the stock market because God is yet God. For all of you that have got a little something in the stock market, God is yet God, people of God. God wasn't just watching while they were in captivity. He was working and he was blessing. And most of all, God was moving. And I want you to know today that God is yet moving. And I want this to remind you that God silences your life is not an indication of his absence from your life. God doesn't give up on his people. 
And though there may be negative things happening in your life that are not of your choosing, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I want you to know today God has no orphans. Glory be to God. And we are his children no matter what. We will always be the king's kids. Hallelujah. Verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 6. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, people of God. It will help you to avoid discouragement and compromise in your daily life. It will help you to remember that God is not absent and that he's here and that he's always at work. So don't let your negative circumstances be a false prophet in your life. I love that. Hallelujah. God is working. So Daniel and the other three Hebrew boys, they could have went all in in what was going on. They could have tried and made the God of Israel one small G God among many, just like those other gods that were in Babylon. They could have said, well, you know what, boys? God understands our situation. You know, after all, this is a new day, and it's a new time, and we're here in captivity. You know, they could have said, well, you know, I mean, look now, our parents and our grandparents, they didn't have to live out their faith in a place like this. They weren't in a situation like this one we, we're in. Or they could have said, I ain't eating that devil food. That's the table of Satan. Or they could have just went on and on a complete hunger strike and starved to death. But they didn't allow any of that to dictate who they were. They were in it but they were not of it. You can be amidst of a whole lot of negative situations and circumstances, but you don't have to be part of it. John chapter 17, verse 14 through 19. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Jesus said. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would not be taken out of this world, but rather protected from Satan and live a set-apart and sanctified life. Jesus actually said that we have, we have been sent. Sent. We have been sent by God. We are ambassadors that have been sent from the heavenly kingdom of God into this earth people of God. But it's up to us to live set-apart and sent lives in this world. That means we have to engage the culture, not cave in and give in to the culture in which we live. We are supposed to be in this world, but know that we are not of this world. Hallelujah. Let me give you the illustration. Uh, it appears that the culture is spinning and it's shaking and, and things are just constantly in flux, but here's my illustration seasoned roller skaters, and I, I, I love roller skating. 
So how did they spin around a dozen times and not fall down? How is it when I get out there on, on the rollers in the rink and spin around a dozen times and not fall down? How do I not lose my balance when it seems as though everything is moving around me? You know how I do it? I keep my eyes fixed on one fixed spot. They call that spotting. And when you keep your eyes fixed on one fixed spot or point, no matter what's going on around you, bedlam and every other thing that's coming, you'll be able to find your spot every time. One fixed spot. That one fixed spot that we have is a person, people of God. So let's keep our eyes on him. And when the culture continues to shift, just remember that God is at work. And keep looking at Jesus. There are ways that we can do that. You've got to receive. Not everything is bad. But receive that which God has prepared for you. Reject some things. You've got to reject that cultural values that are at odds with our biblical values. And I reject the idea that gender is fluid. I reject the idea that pornography is a commodity that should be consumed. I reject the redefinition of marriage. I reject the idea that untruth and distorted facts should be accepted just because they are repeated long enough and shouted loud enough. Matthew chapter 10, as I close, verse 16. Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. People of God, this world is full of wolves. Now the question is, are you wise? Are you innocent? Listen, if we would maintain our innocence, Everything's going to be all right. Daniel and his friends ultimately had a decision to make. They chose, they chose to draw a line in the sand, and they said that they would not defile themselves with the king's food. And you can actually, again, see this played out throughout the whole book of Daniel. They drew a line at compromising their beliefs and values. Draw that line, that line in the sand, and say, listen, uh-uh. I have beliefs and I have values. And what you are asking me to do does not line up with my beliefs and values. Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. People of God, Daniel so trusted God that he was willing to make a stand for God. Do you trust God so much that you are willing to make a stand for him? When you make a determined stand to walk with God no matter what's going on around you, there are going to be some times when you're going to have, just have to step out on faith. There are going to be some times when you're just going to have to walk by faith. And there are going to be times when you're just going to have to trust God by faith.